everyone, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Mini Wikipedia on a Monday, and this Monday I want to chat about gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD, which is a more serious form of acid reflux that many people experience and have to manage on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, even this week, I have had three clients tell me that they've got um, acid reflux, they've been diagnosed with GERD, and they are on some sort of acid-lowering medication like omeprazole. And whilst this sort of medication does help with the symptoms, it's not going to be effective long-term at actually resolving what is going on, which is what I want to chat about actually. And so just for a bit of background, 10 to 20% of individuals experience symptoms of GERD, so sort of indigestion and heartburn, at least once a week. And 60 million people actually experience heartburn at least once a month. And 25 million in the States, obviously, because this is where we have good data, experience symptoms on a daily basis. And the prevalence of GERD is steadily increasing. And the reason that we know this is because more and more people are being prescribed medications or acid-suppressing medications for heartburn, reflux, GERD, and the prevalence of these prescriptions are just growing. And indeed, it used to be considered that this was something that uh, you know, older people experienced, um, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but more and more I'm seeing younger people in my clinic who have been on these acid-lowering sort of medications um, actually for years. Like I had one guy this morning, he was really young, he'd been on it for two years with no plan to sort of get him off it. Now, this isn't everyone, and I know there are lots of doctors out there who use it as and when required, and it's not something that they that is intended to be used long term. But I also know of others who there is no sort of follow-up and they just continue to take the medication. And alongside that, it is estimated that the actual prevalence rate of good is in fact underestimated because you don't always need a prescription to get these sort of antacid medications. So it's quite likely that, um, that there are more people out there suffering from it than what the statistics would have us believe. And the problem is, is that heartburn and GERD can actually have some quite serious complications, including scarring of the esophagus, constriction, ulceration, and ultimately actually cancer of the esophagus. And most people, when you sort of ask them what the genesis or basis of the reflux is, most people will tell you that it's too much stomach acid. And particularly if you look at adverts on the TV or any of the information around it, often that's the thing that is suggested. Because of course, this is acid suppressing medications. But actually, if you look a little bit further into the literature, what you find is that in fact, it's people with low stomach acid that potentially have more issues with the gastroesophageal reflux disease than those with high stomach acid. And one signal for this in the literature is the fact that GERD increases with age, while stomach acid levels generally decline with age, actually. And numerous studies have shown that stomach acid secretion declines 
by numbers such as over 30% of men and women past the age of 60 who do suffer from atrophic gastritis, which is a condition marked by little to no acid secretion. And there's been other studies which have shown that 40% of women over the age of 80 produce no stomach acid at all. So just as studies show acid secretion declines with age, um, there is well-established data that the risk of GERD also increases with age. So while there are people younger and younger experiencing it, generally speaking, the older you get, the more at risk you are of experiencing GERD. And if heartburn were caused by too much stomach acid, the prevalence of younger people would be far in excess of those of than older people. But we know that's just not the case. And when people have sort of investigated the actual stomach acid levels of people with GERD, what they've found is that it is almost always low and it's not high. And so whilst the drugs do offer relief because the drugs are working on the acid as it is pushed back up the esophagus, one of the reasons the that it is pushed up the esophagus is because there isn't enough stomach acid to work on the food when you eat the food. So the acid suppressing medications give the appearance of reducing or eliminating stomach acid, but it's actually just working on the symptom and it's not in fact working on the cause of heartburn. And worse than that, the, the stomach acid suppressing medications may actually be making the situation worse because essentially they're getting, they're not getting rid of the underlying conditions. They fail to so they fail to treat the GERD, but they're actually getting rid of all of the stomach acid, and it vir virtually necessitates the lifelong use of medications for anyone who takes them. So while it's like a great strategy for pharmaceutical companies, it's not so great for the people who are experiencing the GERD. Because what tends to happen is that, so you might experience a benefit from taking the antacid medication, but of course, once you come off it, your symptoms will return. And often they're worse actually than they were before someone um, even begun that medication to begin with. So if it's not this overproduction of stomach acid or um, that is an issue or too much stomach acid that's the issue, what's actually going on? And the prevailing scientific theory is that GERD is caused by a dysfunction of the muscular valve, the sphincter, that separates the lower end of the esophagus and the stomach. And this is known as lower esophageal valve or LES. The LES normally opens wide, so it allows sort of swallowed food and liquids to pass easily into the stomach. And this is the only time that the LES should be open. However, because of certain conditions, GERD result is the result of this sphincter or valve being a bit loose, if you like. And one of the reasons for this is that there could potentially be an increase in intra-abdominal pressure that pushes on the valve and, and um, causes it to open. So acid reflux occurs when pressure causes gastric distension, so the stomach bloating, that pushes the stomach contents, including acid, through the LES into the esophagus. And potential reasons for this might be overeating. It may be carrying excess body fat, particularly around the middle, that is the result of obesity. It may be bending over after eating can cause that stomach distension, lying down after eating, and consuming spicy or fatty foods. 
So there have been several studies that have indicated an association between obesity and GERD. Um, although they may not necessarily be the primary reason for it, it's certainly associated. And another two factors that potentially play a role is bacterial overgrowth, independent of carbohydrate intake, and also carbohydrate malabsorption. Low stomach acid can cause bacterial overgrowth because one of the main functions of stomach acid is to inhibit that overgrowth. So at a pH of about three or less, which is the normal pH of the stomach, most bacteria can't survive for more than 15 minutes. But when stomach acid is insufficient and the pH of the stomach increases above five, bacteria begins to thrive. And studies looking at the administration of high-dose acid-suppressing drugs have found that when treated for at least three months, a significant portion of the people had developed this bacterial overgrowth. So herein sort of lies a bit of the issue because if you've got bacterial overgrowth that contributes to GERD and the acid-suppressing drugs just promotes more overgrowth, then you're not really treating the underlying cause of the heartburn or the reflux. And the other problem with low stomach acid is that you can get maldigestion of carbohydrates. So stomach acid supports the digestion and absorption of carbs by stimulating the release of pancreatic enzymes into the small intestine. If the pH of the stomach is too high because there's not enough stomach acid, the pancreatic enzymes will not be secreted and the carbohydrates will not be properly broken down. And if this is the case, we might then expect that reflux could be treated either by reducing bacterial overgrowth or reducing carbohydrate intake for both of those reasons that I've just described above. And in fact, that is what some studies have actually found. And I did talk to Dr. Eric Westman actually about utilizing a low-carb diet for GERD, and he's seen a lot of success in his clinic with it. And there's also research, he's written a research paper, there's other research to support using a very low carbohydrate to improve the symptoms of GERD. And importantly, what research can find is that those people treated with a low-carb diet have a similar improvement to those who use these acid-suppressing drugs or the proton pump inhibitors. Another uh, potential sort of reason for GERD could be related to H. pylori. And there is research that suggests there's an overlap between GERD and irritable bowel syndrome or other functional abnormalities of the GI tract, which can also be prevalent. So this does suggest there's this common underlying dysfunction. Interestingly, on the bacterial overgrowth front, there is research to suggest a, an association between people who have GERD and those who have H. pylori infections or an overgrowth of H. pylori bacteria. And there could be an associated link there. And there is also an associated link between H. pylori, GERD, and IBS patients. So if you've been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. So that is worth investigating and asking your doctor about to see whether there is anything going on with you if you experience any sign of GERD. Because the solution 
in this instance, again, is likely not to be proton pump inhibitors, but it will be treating the um, H. pylori. And the thing is, is that the reason why many doctors don't love their patients being on acid um, suppressing medications for an extended period of time is because they do suggest that there are sort of other side effects of being on acid suppressing drugs for a long period of time, like increased bacterial overgrowth, uh, certainly impaired nutrient absorption, which I'll go on in a minute, but also decreased resistance to infection. And importantly, there is a potential increased risk of other more chronic diseases like cancer because stomach acid is a prerequisite to healthy digestion. And we need to have a well-working gut in order to absorb and digest nutrients properly. And some of these nutrients feed the gut, are important in our immune system, help reduce inflammation, and a whole host of other things. And if you don't have enough stomach acid, the normal chemical reactions required to absorb nutrients is impaired. And over time, it can lead to diseases such as anemia, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, depression, and others. So stomach acid triggers the release of protein enzymes in addition to the carb breaking down carbohydrate, as I mentioned before. And those protein enzymes help us break down and digest proteins, which if this doesn't happen, this can lead to a deficiency of essential amino acids, which in turn may lead to chronic depression, anxiety, and insomnia due to the role that amino acids play in the production of neurotransmitters in the brain. And at the same time, proteins that escape digestion by pepsin may end up in the bloodstream. And since this isn't supposed to happen, the body reacts to these proteins as if they were sort of foreign bodies. So it sparks our, an immune response to them, can cause both allergic and autoimmune responses. So all that said and done, if you do experience GERD, then what are some things that can help mitigate some of these symptoms? Well, first, Firstly is be mindful of your carbohydrate intake. A high carbohydrate diet can promote bacterial overgrowth, particularly H. pylori, which can suppress stomach acid. So it can create that vicious cycle where bacterial overgrowth and low stomach acid reinforce each other in this continuous decline of digestive function. So it follows then that a low-carb diet would reduce the bacterial overgrowth. And as I suggested, there are studies which have been overwhelmingly um, positive with that. So this is one avenue to explore. Another option would, of course, be the low FODMAP diet. So FODMAPs are a certain type of carbohydrate that are poorly absorbed by some people, particularly those with an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine, which, as you know, goes hand in hand with heartburn. So working with a health practitioner to instigate a low FODMAP approach could be part of the healing process when trying to resolve your gut-related or GERD issues. Be mindful of fiber as well, potentially because high fiber diets and bacterial overgrowth don't really go well together because almost all of the fiber and approximately 15 to 20% of starch we consume escape digestion and they then become food for intestinal bacteria. This means probably prebiotics or resistant starch should probably be avoided in patients with heartburn and GERD. 
And another problem with fiber is that it can bind nutrients and remove them from the body before they've had a chance to be absorbed. And I've already just mentioned that low stomach acid in itself reduces absorption. So this would be like a double whammy for people who may already be quite low in some key nutrients. So one of the first things that you want to do is work with your natural health practitioner, such as a naturopath or your doctor, and work to replace your stomach acid enzymes and nutrients that aid digestion and are necessary for health. And there is a type of digestive enzyme that also has HCL with it that you would begin sort of trialing to see if it made a difference. And obviously you would want to test stomach acid levels in best case scenario. However, if you weren't able to do that, then there is a protocol you can use with your your doc to sort of go through the process of establishing whether or not this is actually the issue. And, you know, these um, enzymes with the HCL peptin, they're really easy to sort of come by. Your naturopath may also suggest taking some bitters because this is another way to stimulate acid production in the stomach and have been used in traditional cultures for, say, thousands of years. And it increases the flow of digestive juices, including HCL, bile, pepsin, gastrin, and pancreatic enzymes. But, you know, there aren't that many clinical trials evaluating their potential, but they are safe to take. And there are like a list of different herbs that are commonly used in both Western and Chinese herbal medicine, including dandelion, fennel, ginger, globe artichoke, hops, milk thistle, peppermint, etc. And they're usually taken in very small doses. And you can work with a practitioner to help find the right dose for you. Apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, raw sauerkraut and pickles are other traditional remedies that can relieve symptoms of heartburn and GERD. Although they do sort of resolve symptoms, they don't increase nutrient absorption to the same extent that HCL supplements do. However, they may be good as a stopgap, but if you've been taking acid-suppressing drugs for a period of time, then working on improving your nutrient status is really key. And bearing in mind, there are nutrients like B12, folate, calcium, iron, and zinc, which will not be absorbed properly without sufficient stomach acid. So get your levels tested by your doctor to sort of establish where you sit on your baseline levels of these and what you might need to take in order to get you back up to within these sort of sufficient ranges that are important for overall health and well-being, and of course, stomach acid um, secretion. You also, of course, want to restore beneficial bacteria and the mucosal lining in the gut. So these these are the things which are decimated, if you like, with long-term acid-suppressing medications. Indeed, there is research showing that probiotics are effective at reducing bacterial overgrowth and altering fermentation patterns in small bowel in patients with IBS, and we talked about that link there. And also, it's worth noting that probiotics have also been shown to be effective in other digestive conditions as well. And they may well significantly increase the cure rates of of treatment for H. pylori. 
So if you get an antimicrobial treatment to help with H. pylorase reduction, a probiotic may be prescribed alongside that. And I'm not suggesting that you work all of this out yourself, but it's just giving you some ideas as to um, how to work with your natural practitioner on how to resolve some of these things. And it's worth noting that your intake of fermented foods, and I mentioned pickles before, it would be quite good to sort of increase these in your overall diet as well. You might want to include more sauerkraut, a kefir, um, coconut or natural yogurt because they also have those lactobacillus bifidobacterium bacterias or microorganisms and they also will include more sort of minerals and vitamins, amino acids, etc. that are important for overall sort of health and also help with um, H. pylori eradication. And lastly, restoring a healthy gut lining would also be an important part of recovering from heartburn and acid reflux and GERD, chronic stress, bacterial overgrowth, and medications like steroids, NSAIDs, etc. can damage the lining of the stomach. And since it's a mucosal lining that protects it from its own acid, this can cause irritation, pain, and ultimately ulcers. Homemade bone broth soups are effective or can be effective at helping with the um, mucosal lining in the stomach. You can also actually purchase really good bone broth. And so potentially you, um, if you don't have time to make it yourself, absolutely do it. It is rich in collagen and gelatin, which can benefit people with ulcers. It's also high in proline, which is a non-essential amino acid, which is an important precursor for the formation of collagen. Bone broth also contains glutamine, which is an important metabolic fuel for the intestinal cells. And it has been found as such in animal trials. So you could also um, take some deglycerinated licorice, DGL. And this has been shown to be effective at treating gastric and duodenal ulcers, actually, and works as well in this regard as other um, sort of medications, apparently. And in animal studies, it's even been shown to protect the stomach lining against damage caused by aspirin and other non-steroidal medications. They work by raising concentration of prostaglandins, which actually promote mucus secretion, stabilize cell membranes, and stimulate new cell growth. So that can contribute to healthy gut lining. So that's just a few thoughts, et cetera, that I have come across in my understanding of GERD and the use of these acid-suppressing drugs um, or proton pump inhibitors is another way of, of talking about them. Um, due to the fact that I've just seen so many people now who are on these with no real sign or plan to come off them. So if you're interested in other information about them, I highly recommend checking out uh, Chris Masterjohn, Dr. Michael Ruscio, uh, Dr. Chris Cressa, and their information around it because, it because it is very well balanced with regards to what the literature says and um, also what they see clinically in people. And that's where I derive a lot of my information. So uh, that's mini Wikipedia on a Monday. You can catch me over on Instagram threads and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, or head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, book a one-on-one -on -one call with me. All right, team, you have a great, a great week. <laughs>